Just for emphasis, and I don't sympathize, cause you a simple simple. I just pop up on these towels on some pebble pebbles and put the eye into your face, y'all wrinkle wrinkles. Nicki Minaj on Radio 3 with Will I Am. It's nearly quarter past ten. It's time to say hi to Steve Vines. Today, as a special deal, we're on Facebook Live. How are you, Steve? Yes, and the makeup's on, so can I just say to the viewer, <coughs> don't worry. I've, expo- <laughs> I've overexposed you too. It's looking brilliant. Anyway. Mr uh, Whelan tells me it's in colour. What? Yeah, just go to our Morning Brew page and it's actually in colour. Good reminder there. Yes. What's going on, Steve? Well, um, it's the pressing matter of developing youth. Do, do, do you believe in youth development? I do indeed, especially oh, youth in Asia. Yeah, I'll tell you, you. Oh, dear me. They're coming slow and slow and sticky today. <laughs> so, so the Youth Development Commission has been established and this is a major breakthrough in Hong Kong policy development. Let me just go through some things about the Youth Development Commission. First of all, it's got 42 members. Now, if anybody including the listener, has ever been on a committee, you know that 42 members is, roughly speaking, 38 members too many. Or, to be generous, it's at least 32 members too many. No organisation, no committee that is it consists of 42 members is likely to be uh, a, a funct- a, a efficiently functioning. But then you, look, you drill down to who they've actually got. So it's going to be chaired by the Chief Secretary, the very sprightly and youthful Matthew Chung. Perfectly nice chap, but youthful, not so sure about that. I don't believe that, that the... Per- Come on, let's be fair. You don't think the... Qualific- it's not the Lord of the Flies. No, it's not yet. the Lord of the Flies yet. OK, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. No, good point, good point. Because, um, not, but, but fortunately, Matthew will not be on his own. There are no less, get this, there are no less, and I've got my briefing notes from Carrie here, so I know what I'm talking about. There are no less than eight policy secretaries sitting on there. Eight policy secretaries. God, would you Adam and Eve it? So, so there's all the clipboard wielders are sitting there. And then remember, they <laughs> used to have a commission on youth. And that commission on youth was um, chaired, of course, by the son of a tycoon, because you've always got to have a, 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 a tycoon's son in charge of these things. That was uh, Lao Ming Wai. <coughs> Lao Ming Wai is now the vice chairman of the new body. No doubt a very able young person. But of course, this is how they put together these government committees. They put a tycoon's son in charge. Oh, and so he won't be lonely. He's not the only tycoon's son. There's Kenneth Fox going to be on it. Um, Kenneth Lung's going to be on it. So there's lots of other little typhoonettes. Lots of Kenneths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a superfluity of Kenneths, as we say in the trade. So you've got the tycoon's sons there. You've got the usual 
collection of um, pro-government people who are on all the committees. I mean, when I... I don't exaggerate. You look down the list, and I, I just checked it out this morning. It's on there on the government website. Very fine website, if I may say so. Um, and you see that they've got all these, um, you know, professional committee attenders, but they've actually fan- managed to find a genuine young person. They've got an 18-year-old student on there, um, I'm just looking for his name. He's he's well known. Um, he's called Alex Jung, and he's a student at the um, University of Science and Technology. And what is the outstanding thing that they found about Alex Jung? I mean, why why is he on there? I think this must be a coincidence, but he was one of the few young people during the Umbrella protest movement who was consistently posting on Facebook anti-Umbrella movement. Um, uh, Purely a coincidence. I think that's a coincidence. And I don't think that has anything to do with his appointment whatsoever, because after all, they've got various other pro-government um, uh, parties. They've got the usual, the one nominal representative from a non-pro-government um, party. There's, there's, there's a member of the Democratic Party, one out of the 42. And... This is very, very exciting. They've got somebody from an ethnic minority on. Uh, I say. He's a teacher. Hello, Mr. I'm Mr. an Rizwan ethnic minority. Ola, who's a teacher. So, you know, I mean, you know, they've covered all the bases with these 42 people. Lots of tycoons, lots of bureaucrats, lots of people who go to committees. Uh, and then the, the nominals, you know, the one Democrat, the one this, the one that. Ethnic well, minority. Ethnic minority. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, good. I'm, I'm not saying they may be very fine chaps and chapesses, but the fact of the matter is, what is going to come out of this? Do you hear that silence? <laughs> the silence will be filled by bulky reports, and the bulky reports will say things like, you know, they, these are very big issues, and they do need further study, and they're, yeah. and they're very complex, and here's 600 pages on why it's complex, and, you know, there is absolutely no um, doubt at all of our commitment to youth. You know, it's like commitment to motherhood. We are all absolutely in favour of it. It's a very good thing. I myself was a youth at one stage in the proceedings. And so did we, I know and did we have it. a table full of people speaking for us? <coughs> yeah. I Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've never no, met this bloke. I, so how, I, I, well, I'm not a youth, but <laughs> if I was, how could a bloke speak for me if I've never met him? Well, exactly. And, and of course, the, the missing ingredient in all of this, as ever, is the way you would meet somebody who's part of the policy formulation process is by having people who are elected. I mean, at least... However ghastly some of them are, at least people who've been elected have have had to go round and meet the great unwashed. On these committees, you don't have anybody who's been around and met the great unwashed whatsoever. There isn't a single elected... But you uh, knew um, this was going to happen. Oh, yes. Yes, I'm I'm not saying I'm shocked. This isn't in a shock development. I'm slightly surprised that they've been so shameless about its composition. I mean, to make such a large body is clearly a joke. I mean, it's a joke. 42 people on a committee isn't going to make any kind of decision. What is it you think? Policy bureaus, secretaries. Oh, give me a What is it you think they want to hear? No, they want to, what they want to be able to say is exactly what Carrie Lamb has been saying. Youth is our priority. We've been listening to the dissatisfaction of young people, and here's a committee to prove it. That's all they want to do, full stop. There's not, there's, there is, there'll be nothing more than that will come out of this. If it, if it does, I will be 
Well, you're eat, flabbergasted, you're mate. Flabbergasted it, is it, the word it, I'm looking for. It just seems like wholly um, illogical. I mean, it's, you know, a nice idea to have representation and advocates, but they're, they're not. Well, they're not. They don't. I mean, first of all, if you've got so many policy secretaries on there, you can imagine who will dominate the, 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 the discussion. You know, they'll say, oh, well, this is an issue relating to young people on housing. Um, head head honcho for housing, what do you think? And he'll have this big brief, and he'll go, oh, damn, housing very complicated. Anyway, we're working on it, and we are going to launch public consultation. Another, <laughs> another committee. Another, <laughs> another, another, what we need is a housing commission on youth housing public consultation, which we're not going to listen to. I mean... You know how many public consultations they, they launch every year? It's in the dozens. Hmm. And you know how many yield any results? Oh, oh. Mm. Which, mm. which youth are we talking about here, Steve? Are I we don't talking, know. Are we actually really talking about <coughs> the naughty boys and girls? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, you look at the um, uh, terms of reference to this committee and it basically says anything under, you know, um, a certain age that moves, we're, we're going to look into its development. <laughs> I, I have to say, I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of even calling this thing the Youth Development Committee is something... I mean, uh, maybe it's lost in translation, I don't know, but isn't there a slight tinge of patronising in there? I mean, you know, some young people feel that they're going to sort of develop on their own. But more and more you hear about these things in, a, in any country and place, and you think to yourself, you know, that whenever you hear the word youth, you sort of immediately go back to the 1930s. Yes. You know what I mean? And you put two and two yes. together, and we're talking about assimilation by the Borg, basically. Well, that's all right. They're, they're, as you know, issues have been... Uh, issues. As you know, I've got issues on the brain. I've got to wake up a bit later in the morning. As, as you know, orders have already been issued to to the various groups, you know, like the Girl Guides and the St John's Ambulance, that they should be goose-stepping when they march in, in, in parades now. So, you know, when you say there's a memory of the 1930s... Mm. It was just a vague yeah, one. A vague reference, I know. Well, it's a vague reference that, that that's sending a chill down the back of my neck at the moment. Add that to the whole national anthem thing. Yes, yes, thank God we've got a law coming in on that because Which we is don't want, impossible we, we to don't police. Want, um, we don't want careless singing of the national anthem. In fact, I didn't say that. Can you, can you delete that? It's, well, I'll tell you what, we've already talked about that one, but it's, yeah, it's very, very hard to... It's one of those things that when you get asked the odd slightly, slightly tricky question, you cannot answer. Yeah. What happens if it's going on at some big function and a bunch of people say... Mm, this and I'm going to the loo, and you walk out as the anthem's being played. Anyway, I'm taking you off the topic. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go I back know. To but you. I mean, it, it is all of a piece, isn't it? Because yes. you've got the tightening of the screws. You've got this. I mean, to be fair to the Youth Development Commission, it's it's a fairly harmless sideshow. I don't think it's particularly sinister. It's a way of Carrie Lamb saying, and this is this was her response. She remember was involved in the televised meetings, which weren't fully televised, but the meetings with the leaders, uh, the young leaders of the Occupy movement. And she obviously came out of that, because one thing you know about Carrie Lamb is yeah. she hates to be with people who disagree with her. She really has a visceral dislike of that. 
And she came out of that meeting and they said, you know, what is going to be done about this? And they started at that point already saying, oh, well, you know, uh, there are issues we must address for the youth. But, you know, the issues are the issues that face everyone. Lack of quality of life, inability of young people and anybody on a low income to, to buy a home, dissatisfaction with the political system, unhappiness with the unrepresentativeness of the government, etc., etc. Well, I mean, it does affect the youth. It does affect everybody else. So, Steve, none of that's going to be addressed, is it? This is very timely. Just think about it. This, you know, youth have been around for a while, especially in Hong Kong. They, they used to have them in the old days. They did youth. have them in the yes. old days. And I, I don't know. Let's just say it could be said that all we want young people to do is stop talking about independence. Not that they are. Stop talking. Stop being naughty. Yeah, well, there's, that, there's all of that is that, you know... Uh, it's it's the old Roman thing, isn't it? You know, give them bread and circuses, and, and they'll shut I wrote up about that on my everything stuff else. This morning. Oh, did you know? <laughs> oh. Yeah, but I mean, it, it just strikes me. You obviously, that got the briefing from Carrie Lam as absolutely. to what to say today. I got the briefing. Good, but it, but it's I don't know if I'm overthinking it. It's like stop being naughty, stop jumping up and down, stop saying bad things about China. Let's have a committee. Yes. Uh, but if it was for the cool things that they're saying, well, I guess that can't be too bad. It's like a. Well, you know, you, you, you could, if you weren't a member of this administration, you could say, isn't this an extraordinary thing that in Hong Kong, where for years and years the people have been put down by being told that they're not interested in anything except for making money yeah. and looking after themselves, isn't it a wonderful thing that so many hundreds of thousands of young people, not only young people, but to a large degree young people have been mobilised in the streets because they care about the future of Hong Kong. You could actually look at it that way round. Mm. They don't, but mm. you could. There is an argument to say this is a wonderful thing that, that, that young people have that kind of commitment, that a generation, a new generation of people who are concerned about civic issues exists and is prepared to not just sit at home picking their noses but actually do something about it. Yeah. And let's I, try, I'm, you know, uh, that's another way of looking at it. I don't think it will be the way the Youth Development Commission looks at it. And by the way, what kind of kid goes on these kind of things? I mean, the, the <laughs> well, kind that gets beaten 18, up a lot in the playground. It's the 18-year-old <laughs> that's been posting on Facebook about how... Well, of course, he, must, he can't have been 18 at the time of the movement. He would have been a 16-year-old who was posting on, on Facebook, look at me, I'm the one who doesn't like all these other people of my age who are protesting. That's the sort of person See, who Facebook, sits on this Facebook's to blame here. Uh, hey, whatever's the question, Facebook is not the answer. It's in the news for doing a lot of naughty things at the moment, apparently. Uh, but <laughs> it, a lot of the B-roll, if you like, the important background stuff, does surface on Facebook. Yes. Well, I mean, not just Facebook. I mean, all of social media. I right. mean, you know, you, 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 however much, and gosh, you're talking to the wrong person here, however much people like me don't like Facebook and don't use it, I do understand that particularly in authoritarian regimes, the only means of communication you have is through various forms of social media. And you've got to duck and weave to get under the censorship radar to do that. And by God, people do. They're very determined. Well, so you can't, you know, you can't blanketly say that Facebook or... Um, apparently they've got other things I was trying to think Twitter or Twitter, whatever it's called. Um, you know, um, Very good. Something called Snapchat, apparently. Snapchat? I, is that something you have for breakfast? You're I cooking now. You're cooking now. <laughs> um, but actually, to, to sum this one up before we hit, hit the news, yes. this is another one to add to that massive to-do list. Yes. Massive. Which, which incidentally, Carrie... <laughs> 
said yesterday. <laughs> she denied that she had a to-do list when she was talking to legislators. I think, gosh, that's really interesting. Like apparently, <laughs> apparently, at a private meeting with legislators, she said, oh, I've got these three mountains that we're going to scale. And now she's saying, oh, well, because I said that at a private meeting, it's not true. I didn't ever say it in public. So I don't have a to-do list. Oh God! Where do you start? Well, with all we this talked. Stuff? We talked about this off the record nonsense a few weeks back. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there isn't such a thing. Um, no, to be honest, there isn't. There isn't. I mean, as a just in case, just at the state, yeah, at yeah, the state yeah, of yeah. being boring, I have actually worked in politics in in Britain with a ruling political party, and the one thing we were always told, and this was you know back in the dark ages when they didn't even have the internet, was. Just remember one thing, there is no such thing as off the record. Don't even dream that such a thing exists in politics. Yeah. And you know what? Nothing's changed. I know. You ever notice um, when people start using those words off the record, perhaps, I don't know if you've, you've... You must have interviewed people. Yes. And they're a bit cagey, and then it comes to the... All of a sudden they've met you and your mates off the record, and they, they purge themselves... To, or, or, a, to a complete stranger. Well, there, there's two levels of it. And, in fact, a lot of journalists these days don't even understand the difference. But there is two levels of it. One is off the record and one is unattributable. That means that you blackmouth your, your colleagues, but you say, don't say I said that. Say a, a source close to you yeah. know, Foggy Bottom said that. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know... I mean, I am sort of old-fashioned about journalism. If, if I'm really in a formal situation where somebody says to me it's off the record, of I don't course. use it. But I'm talking about but, them but, more than you. Yeah. They, it goes there. It comes no, no, out. I know. But, I mean, for, 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 for a new generation, they don't actually get that at all. All right. It's nearly time for the news. I'm going to stay on Facebook Live for a little while. Don't go away. If you've got anything you want to put to Steve or ask or bring up, whatever, just go to our Morning Brew page and there it will be. I'm still in with Steve Vines. Right, wherever you want to go. Well, I, 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 I can't avoid, and I think no, no sane person can avoid this nonsense that, that's surrounding the MTR proposal to um, increase fares by 3.14%, if I'm, I don't remember the point four to Don't forget, sorry, the 3.14%. Pie. Pie of something. No, I mean pie, I'm hungry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought you were talking mathematics. <laughs> God, what do I know? Um, but, but I mean, you, you know, where do you begin with this stuff? First of all, you've got the MTR saying, ah, oh, yes, we're going to put up fares by 3.14%. But, of course, octopus holders will get a rebate. So, therefore, there won't be an increase of fares in the first place. And we don't know what all the fuss is about. So, you're thinking, well, if it's not going to make any difference, why are you announcing it? Right. Mm, OK, we don't understand that, but... That's just me. And then they're going, oh, you know, it's really expensive. You're running a railway. Oh, my God, you've got no idea. It's it's absolutely crippling. Oh, we've got to run those trains every day. And, you know, it's all those people. And uh, and then they're going, oh, yeah, that's and, and that's why we've got to put our fares up. What isn't mentioned is actually that they've had a profits increase of 64%. That means that um, they took in a mere $168 billion last year. I mean, billion. I know it's peanuts to you and me, but, you know, to, to, to poorer people, $168 billion is quite a lot of money. Why is that? Because the whole way that the MTR was constructed was very simple. You don't make any money on the railway. 
it's very hard to make any money on the railway. So as compensation, you give the corporation that runs the railway the development rights around, and they're very, very valuable development rights, around the stations. Because obviously people want to live, people want to shop, people want to have offices near to the stations. And if you're the landlord of these properties, you make... $168 billion dollars or some, thereabouts. And some, probably. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that was always the deal. There wasn't any other deal whatsoever. The idea that you use as a justification for putting up your fares, the fact that, that the railway isn't profitable, well, it wasn't designed to be profitable. I mean, you know, come on. Then you've got, and this is where you get things very, very complicated. So, when the MTR started, and when it was much more of a risk, of course, the public had to take on that risk mm. in the form of the taxpayer, and it was 100% owned by the public. Then the government, because of some ideological nonsense, got it into its head that, that they'd have to sell off some of the shares so that the minority shareholders, because, of course, the government still retains a majority of the shares in the MTR, the minority shareholders, you know, would then be able to, um, um, you know, make hay while the profit shines... So now the MTR couches its explanation of what it's done in terms of the interests of its minority shareholders. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I mean, this gets worse and worse. So now you've got a minority... You do realise you lost me about three and a half minutes ago. I'm sorry, did I? I'm, I'm frightfully sorry. I, <laughs> let me explain this very clearly. Um, the thing is this is that while it was a publicly owned utility, they had no excuse for putting up the fares because yeah. they could get the money back from the property. That was the deal. It was a very, very simple deal. Nobody could possibly misunderstand it. And actually, it worked pretty well. There's nothing wrong with the MTR. I think it's a very good system. Got it. Then you say, oh, well, oh, you know, we're a free enterprise society. The government shouldn't own everything. We'll, we'll flog off some of the shares. You then use the fact that you've got shareholders as an excuse for putting up the fares because you say, oh, well, I'm looking after the minority shareholders' interests. Well, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> I was going to think of people who don't actually need to go or don't go on the yeah, MTR. Yeah, people who don't go on the MTR, like <laughs> Carrie Lamb, who didn't know how the octopus guard worked. But anyway, um, she now denies this. She said she had once been on the MTR and it was very fine and um, she was in the first-class seats. <laughs> but anyway... The, so now you're in this ludicrous position where they're justifying the fare increase because they say they have to be responsible to their shareholders. They're moaning about the fact that it costs too much to run a railway and they have to put the prices up, although nobody ever expected them to make any money on the railway. Yeah. And they're rolling in money. Loads Let's of money. not forget that. There's loads of money here. So actually, stuff them. They should not be putting up the fares. They've got a lovely, lovely little business with the property developments around the, uh, around the MTR stations. You know what? They're just a load of greedy... What's it? Motherless and fatherless people. S still, <laughs> we're still on Facebook Live. If you've got anything to get off your chest, do it there. But what clean up afterwards? Yeah, please, mo morning yes. Brew is our page. <laughs> and I got a message here actually through our email. That's still morningbrew.rthk.hk from Winnie. She says, does he have anything to say about the $4,000 and free DSE exams? This bit I don't know about. Right. So the $4,000 is the handout to the needy and deserving poor as opposed to the undeserving poor. And the free exams are for students. <coughs> um 
it's a very small concession, actually, because those exam fees aren't too much. Well, I am, I have got something to say about that because, you know, the government keeps talking about handouts and tax break, uh, sorry, handouts. But in fact, the bigger handouts in the budget, remember, this all came after the budget. The bigger handouts went to property owners who get a rate waiver. Yeah. If you own 10 properties, you got 10 rate waivers. You got tax breaks. So the people in Hong Kong who have money actually got far more in terms of cash out of the budget than the very poorest, the the 20-odd percent of the population who live below the poverty line. I personally really don't like this idea of doling out money to people. I think you need a substantial system where you improve the social structure and improve the payments, regular payments to elderly people without means. I mean, that's what I'd like to see rather than the odd little bang of a a bit of cash. But I suppose it's better than nothing. Mm. But honestly, the people who really have made money out of the last budget were property owners who probably aren't the poorest people in Hong Kong um, and were taxpayers. I mean, a lot of the people who are going to be able to get this $4,000 payout are earning so little that they're out of the tax bracket. So, anyway, you know, it's all a nonsense. Instead of systematically setting up a universal pension system, instead of systematically subsidising schools at the level at which it's really crucial, the primary level and the kindergarten level, instead of systematically doing something to change the system so that people who are right at the bottom of the pile don't have to wait for the odd little handout per budget... Mm. They say, no, no, here's 4,000 bucks, and incidentally, shut up. I'll tell you what, this thing about uh, not doing a pension or whatever, don't forget, we come from, we are living in a place where the notion is to have lots of money, so you can say, I've got lots of money. You don't spend it. I mean, in the West, they say, you can't take it with you, and in this part of the world, you're kind of supposed to take it with yeah, you. So it's, if I look at my bank account in any given time, I'm, I'm wedged up. Yes. And that's all, it's just my feeling that that's sort of... Yeah, this tradition, if you like. Well, there is. I mean, uh, Hong Kong people are thrifty and they save and they worry about tomorrow. And very admirably, Hong Kong families save for their next generation. All of that, I think, is a very good thing. But you have to have. A but bit then of the money. next generation holds on to yeah, it, and they some, save it for them. Well, next. yes, except for, except for those who really are living from hand to mouth and have nothing no, to I save. No, I mean, no, no. But but you know, and then they go, oh, well, you can't have a universal pension system because that would mean that people with a lot of money will get the same pension as everybody else. But oh do, God, does it need to be explained they, to them they every don't time? Overseas, it's do it's they? just so stupid. The whole point of a universal pension system is that everybody pays into it. Everybody's got a stake in the game. And it is a disproportionate benefit to Fine. the people so with less money. Coughs up. Everybody coughs up and everybody benefits. Boy, that's what means. That's what universal means. It's not complicated. Meanwhile, we're going to hang on Paul to that. Chan, the accountant, Chan. who's the financial secretary, must be able to understand that. Right. Let's go. Let's go to another question here from Rowley, who says, "What about the comment uh, from the chief executive rejecting the idea of rent control, saying this would mean the city's housing shortage?" Well, I mean, we we all, everybody we know, complains. This landlord, the thieving, what's it, has put my rent up two hundred percent, etc., etc. And every time anybody mentions well, why can't we just stop them doing this? Oh, no, you can't do that. Yes. I'm one of those that says, but why not? Her argument, Carrie Lam's argument is that if there was rent control, people would would withdraw properties from the market. It would worsen the shortage. So they would volunteer 
to have no income rather than some income. Good argument. No, but people Brilliant. do hear. How many times have you seen a property stay open, as uh, stay vacant because because, because they've tried angling, to hit somebody? Yeah. But 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 the the one thing, if you believe in the market, and I'm not a market you know fanatic, but I do believe that there comes a time there will be pain before there's gain. There comes a time when when these landlords go, you know, I do need the money. I've got to rent it out, and that's how it works. Well, what they tend to do, if you look around some of the groovy places like <laughs> Soho, some business is going quite nicely, a restaurant, mm. and then the guy comes along and he puts up the, puts up the thing to the but power of 10. 50%, it, yeah. it stays open. This is c- cynic here. It stays vacant for quite a while. And the next thing you know, some nice twiddly little shop selling ladies things appears because he's got a niece who wants to yes. try her arm at business. All of that. There's all of that goes on. But at the end of the day, the whole point of, of property investment, gosh, who knew, yeah. was to make money. So, you know, it is true that, that, that they, they, they're quite likely to withhold properties from the market. As you say, there's properties remain vacant because the rapacious landlord can't get at the new level of rent. But at the end of the day, sanity does return to the market. I'm not entirely convinced that rent control is the way. What could be to, the way? So that, so that people... Well, I, the, the way is really simple. It's to have more public housing. I mean, no, 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 no. But, but, you know, for just people that you and I know and then... Or the no, thing, but, the the more, thi- but, but the more you supply... Sorry, the more you increase the supply of public housing, yeah. the, the, the more availability there is in the rental market and prices fall accordingly it's called supply and demand that's right. how it works let's put it let's put it in the commercial realms as well you you're in the restaurant business somebody's got a great business going even that poor old guy who had the cake shop or the egg tart yeah. shop so why is it allowed that the business is wonderful it's creating the best feeling in hong kong and the geezer mr rackman chan comes along and he puts it up 300 percent. and people are saying well why is that allowed I, I honestly don't know. I mean, it seems to me that, that, that there are various levels on rent control. But you could actually put a, 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 um, a freeze on, not on uh, rents, see? but on the level of increase. Gosh, that would mean that the state would intervene in the economy. Oh, yeah, actually, that's what the state does in Hong Kong all the time, except for when it comes to property developers, because they've had a free ride. Mm. They have a fantastic system of land disposal which more or less means that only property tycoons can bid for sites they've had they've had the free ride for so long in hong kong that people have begun to believe that it's somehow a god-given right that you can only have legislation which benefits property developers there's no other form of legislation possible so maybe it's time for the worm to turn yeah maybe. I, I, i'm not waiting for Carrie Lamb to do it. I think that that's about as likely as... Um, and this takes you know. us actually rather nicely back to where we started today because rents are exorbitant here. So forget about buying stuff if you are newly married Mr and Mrs and you're 25. Tough, tough titty. Right, let's leave it there.